on the internet. That's which is exactly where they're supposed to be. They're on the internet, and I feel a little like, you know, if um, I don't know if I if if I was Lenin and I had founded communist Soviet Union, and then I had to like watch from my grave as Stalin like butchered fifty million people in in my name. You know, I, this this movement that started out with the best possible intentions and then just was warped and co-opted uh, by others using it for their own purposes. Welcome to Landline Podcast. I'm a professional voiceover artist that Alex could never have actually gotten unless I was his friend from 10 years ago. You're lucky because on today's episode, it's Saul versus Alex, Alex versus Saul. Two white men talking about themselves. Featuring a career elitist trying to find a purpose for his life. A Jewish male shopaholic, as if that's news. You're listening to Landline. Landline. This is Saul calling for Alex. Saul, you've got Alex. Put me through, baby. Put me through. Welcome back to Landline Podcast, Saul. Thanks so much for coming. Where we've missed you. Well, I've missed you too, and I can't wait to make this a bi-daily thing instead of a bi-monthly thing. <laughs> for those of you who haven't heard the show before or heard a Saul and Alex episode, welcome to another edition of Saul versus Alex. Alex versus Saul. This is a podcast between two old friends who are on opposite sides of many issues. For instance, Saul had a five-course lunch today, which included two glasses of wine and some grappa. I ate leftover cabbage in a salad with a uh, cut of beef called a bavette, which Saul would turn his nose to, um, given that it wasn't one of the main cuts in the sort of tenderloin filet mignon family. Um, Saul believes... I've never been a, I've never been a steak snob. You just stopped right there. Okay, I'm sorry. Um... The, the humble bavette has been consumed by me millions of times okay. over. That's why, that's why I... Any that's, sort of tenderloin. That's actually why I stumbled through that. Night. It was, once it was going to be a magnificent open, but then I realized you would eat every single kind of beef possible. Um... Let's just, look, it suffices, suffices to say that Saul and I were once roommates. We got in a lot of frosty arguments that would leave us a few days without chatting, but the biggest of which was a one of our many large dinner parties. This was sort of a picnic style with barbecue, and Saul wanted to make both pasta salad, potato salad, and coleslaw, and we got in such a big argument about it that he left, and I don't think we talked for at least 48 hours. So it's a little bit of a... Uh, of a description of our uh, of our relationship, but anyway, Saul, so glad yeah, to have just just to since I'm setting the record straight on the bavette, I'll just chip in and say that 
I never wanted to make coleslaw. I only wanted to make pasta salad and potato salad. You forced me to choose. And we did not talk for a space of uh, 48 hours, but rather for two to three weeks. And then we had to, to take like a romantic walk around the pond in our hometown and talk it out like we were. This was going to be the last time that we got in a fight and repaired our relationship before our divorce. But look, here we are talking and probably thrice divorced. If you and I were gay, if you and I were gay and in, a, and in a romantic relationship, where do you think we would be right now? In terms of like how many divorces and remarriages, yeah, I mean, or like the, what kind of clothing would be wearing, or would we have, <laughs> or would we just both be divorced and then like having sex with each other outside of our current marriages, <laughs> like an open relationship with each other, exactly, um, Ex- except close to our spouses. I I think to be honest, I think that you would have like. You would have walked out on me the first time and your attorneys would have served me with papers and I would have been really hurt and upset and angry all at the same time. And that would have been divorce number one. That would probably have been in our mid-20s. I think then, like a year later, you would have come back to me and said that it was all a mistake and that maybe we should just have another go of it. And you probably would have brought some sort of, you know, double strength IPA or maybe some cabbage sandwiches to to eat while discussing matters. I think round two, I 100% would have left you. Um, I probably would have yelled it in your face about 10 times while I was packing four to six suitcases. And then I would have stormed out the door and we wouldn't have talked for at least three to five years after that. But yeah, I think the third time uh, might have been the charm, and maybe we would have just been like everyone else in the world hates us, and so we better just sort of uh, shack up and get used to it. Right. We would have, we would have said the sex was great, and we can eat, each eat dinner at different restaurants, and that would have been good enough. Which is maybe something that some married couple is doing out there. Well, before we get too astray on our gay relationship that doesn't exist, why don't we start with something that I wrote because that's a uh, trend that has been, you know, sort of hit or miss here in this season of Landline. But it is March, Saul, and I'm wearing, I'm proudly wearing a gigantic mustache on my lip, something that many people have described as walrusly, walrusy in the last few days. And Mustache March is, a, is sort of a historic event in our lives, uh, something that we started um, a long time. 2006. A long time ago. 2006. So, so this is a, a late February email from 2007, and it was to go up on our now defunct website, um, which you know we could do a whole series of podcasts on, but we won't. Uh, instead, we'll just kind of touch base with it as we go through this. But let me read, and then we can react. This is from me to our webmaster at the time, and no doubt you were copied on you know ba- the back and forth. And this was the introduction to Mustache March. Protocol states that the proper way to begin any mustache march is waking up. Oh, no. Oh, there you go. Technology gone wrong. Don't worry. Um, Are you still reading? No, I stopped. Uh, we'll, we, we'll leave this in, even though I'll tell you I take it out. So I tried to print screen. I have a printer in my office, and I tried to print the screen, and it cut off a third of the page. So I was I was hoping that reading from paper would just be 
a better thing than the computer given the landline, but um, we can take this out. Hold on. I'm just pulling up the email. Well, I think that's a perfect metaphor that your attempts to use an, an older, less fashionable technology like paper just ended up with everything going wrong. God. Okay, here we go. Protocol states that the proper way to begin any mustache march is waking up and immediately unearthing the beautiful cheeks that lie below that winter face pelt. For Tim and Alex, Thursday was spent impatiently waiting until day's end, slaving over the hot fires of the ice studio and the constant chaos of an office internship. Finally, the two met in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, outside Tomcat's, a 50s-style retro barbershop, armed with over-exuberant smiles, three cameras, and a fistful of cash. Head barber Joey and his staff exceeded expectations with friendly service, countless styling options, relaxing honky-tonk, and free beer. That's right, free beer at a barbershop. Two hours later and $120 poorer, Tim and Alex emerged bloody but confident, sleazy but sexy, and still warm from the hot foam, straight razor shave. Enjoy their pictures below and stay tuned for more pics and an all-encompassing video from Tomcats. Full stop. I mean, things, the, the writing was so good then it almost makes me wonder what, what the hell we even bothered doing with the last 10 years. You know, I, I do think I'm a decent writer, and forget about us and you. And you are, you know, you are you are a writer, but uh, how bad is the writing that we're just sort of digesting on a daily basis? I, I, you know, this is I, look. That was not an amazing piece of writing. That wasn't Pulitzer level, but that was better than a lot of like the New York Post articles that I read when I'm looking to see what Stormy Daniels is up to this week. But anyways, let's not even go there, Saul. There's so much meat on this bone, and we'll try to keep it to a, you know, a tight hour and 45 minutes on section one of this podcast. But just to give a little bit of background, Saul and I, with some other people, Saul was really the best author on the site, had this website called wishwewerentfriends.com, and it was sort of a spoof of Facebook in 2006 and 2007 before anyone even knew that Facebook was bad. And we, of course, did because this is the home of the business excavator where we give you ideas that are world class, but we're too lazy to actually execute. So Wish We Weren't Friends was something we did execute for a while. And we had this thing called Mustache March, which was not about it wasn't about saving cancer patients and it wasn't about raising money for, you know, the polar bears or even some sort of fun run we were going to do around Central Park. It was just a way to shave our beards because mustaches were the sign of spring that that March was and it was fun it was funny to us we were in our early 20s we were out of college and it was a funny way for us to all share a bunch of pictures with our friends now what I've noticed is that I went I just searched mustache March in my Gmail and then I like went through all the emails that came up and I really wanted to be uh, an internet site man at that point in my life I was sending this to all these girls that I had interest in and all these people 
and I was really trying to promote it by email. I mean, I had no idea about like SEO marketing. I mean, so what was our plan for driving traffic to that site? There's a, I, let me answer my question, then I'll let you go. But there was a message from me to someone who worked at Gawker because I had a connection through Brian, the voiceover guy who does this show. And there was all of this way that we thought Mustache March would somehow turn us into basically Barstool or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I think if anything, we were aiming even higher, um, sort of like Barstool, except also for people who don't like sports. Right. And, and, and you know, we really were we, – we, so we had all these people post their – their uh, pictures and we all shared them and we I made a video but I mean the fact that I was taking other things to comment the fact that I took three cameras to that barbershop and documented it all now there was only one digital camera and it was actually like a point and shoot and the other two were um, as far one was actually a real video camera like a handheld documentary camera that I had had for where's Feldman my failed documentary project but there was also, of course, Tim's like black and white, you know, Leica from 1963 that it, like a German had stolen from a British soldier's hands or something like that. And, you know, we were we were I was basically everything that I think I hate now. I was documenting my own hipster bullshit in a made up website that I was literally just promoting myself with. I mean, what is how does history look upon us for the steps of wish we weren't friend and friends and you know what about mustache march and you know please analyze this Saul like the world is waiting to hear like where where what this means we were in the lexicon of what the internet has become where it's all self promotion and pictures. Well, you know, number number one, these these memories are all bittersweet for me because if you recall directly after Tomcats, uh, you and Tim returned to our patio, uh, meaning the rooftop that we just pretended was ours because other people were too lazy to climb the stairs and use it. And I was there without a mustache, not allowed to have a mustache because I was employed by a uh, French bistro on the Upper East Side whose name I won't divulge at this point in time due to the uh, subsequent legal wrangling after they attempted to fire me without cause. And I wasn't allowed to have a mustache, and you two, still being in college, were. And it made me feel awful not having one. Um, the whole day was kind of just terrible seeing you both come in with uh, sharp jawlines and chipper smiles and bushy hair where it's supposed to be, meaning the upper lip. And I didn't have any of those things. And it was pretty, it was a kind of sad day for me, um, although I obviously did my best to share your joy and enthusiasm. So do in you terms have, of the actual go ahead go, yes. go, no go ahead I was just gonna say do you have a mustache now I do but I also have a beard that takes up the rest of my face okay well we can get to but that I could next. shave I mean I could, I could shave tonight and I'd have a mustache tonight that's what I'm trying to say okay keep going there'd be no growing involved uh so I looking back on the website you know what was was it to use your phrasing, hipster bullshit, um, I don't think so. I, I think actually we had captured sort of lightning in a bottle. I think that we had hooked our claws into the spirit of the times without fully knowing it or understanding it, um, kind of the way that the people who built the Titanic and sailed it into an iceberg weren't really understanding that they'd be creating 
historic uh, historic uh, metaphor for eternity that um, uh, would go way beyond just, you know, a big gaudy show. So that's sort of like, you know, that's sort of my mentality. I, I think we created something special. I think it was at a point in time where it was poised to take off. Um, obviously, instead, we ran it into an iceberg. But I think that our website had a lot of things working for it uh, that would subsequently be, if not quite plagiarized, at least uh, heavily borrowed by uh, many of the actually successful people in this world. So we've talked on earlier episodes with the two of us, which people can find wherever they're listening to the show now, um, about this idea that you know our friends don't know have sort of given up on things that we did together which is you know somewhat natural we all live in different places now and somewhat just people sort of giving up on the enthusiasm of of being counterculture or being funnier you know the people who end up doing the same joke year after year with their best friends are basically writers in LA or like a bunch of steel workers in Wisconsin who like just you know have fun with the annual like curling match that they get to do with a town and in the middle are these people who are sort of like trying to be professional and trying to um, pursue some, you know, independence and make good on their family's advantages that they gave them and maybe some, you know, student debt. And they have to compromise. They have to compromise with what's funny and they have to compromise with their identity, much like you compromised at your restaurant on the Upper East Side, although that's just kind of a little seed of it. But I, I, I am just interested by this idea that I'm the only one who does this mustache thing anymore like I really felt that this was something now was there a mustache where I missed it sure but how is this not funny and fun and how is this not is how is this not a perfect thing to do in the world of immediate group text chains that can like send photos around but more than that like why aren't what is it about people that makes them not want to grow a beard and then shave a funny mustache at work is it just embarrassment is it you know why if people are like well i couldn't do that or or, or is it they don't want to look stupid or or am i asking a stupid question is it you know why people don't want to look certain ways is is for them to to decide and has nothing to do with me i mean chime in here like why aren't five of the people that did this in the beginning, which was probably 20 or 25 people, texting me? They all still have my number, and I have an iPhone with their picture where they might have kids, but they still grew up and drank a cup of, or woke up and drank a cup of coffee and shaved into a mustache and went into work just for some laughs. Well, I think there's two parts. I think part of it is just the mistaken. Uh, tendency of humankind to associate age with dignity, uh, at least until you get to a certain age, and then that all goes out the window. And to just sort of feel that when you're walking around at your job and you're talking to, like, your, you know, wife's cousin or your, you know, grandfather-in-law or something, that you're not supposed to have a mustache that's any sort of, or really anything that's kind of a you know, wink, wink, um, I'm trying to do something that will add to the world's stockpile of humor. Uh, it's just sort of frowned upon. So I think that's a big, that's a big piece of it, in my opinion. Um, the other thing is that the movement was basically sort of co-opted, I think, in a way that turned off a lot of people who might have honestly been walking around with mustaches this very day. I think that a lot of people 
saw what started out as this like fun, exciting experiment as being taken over by this, um, you know, by this kind of like, uh, you know, drunk crowd of like frat boys who suddenly started, you know, wearing double collar polo shirts and pointing to their stupid mustaches, um, saying we're cool because like we're in on the joke. And that obviously killed the joke faster than anything. Where have you so seen those? Like, where have you seen those people? On the internet. That's a, which is exactly where they're supposed to be. God, they're on the internet, and I feel a little like, you know, if um, I don't know if I if if I was Lenin and I had founded communist Soviet Union, and then I had to like watch from my grave as. Stalin like butchered 50 million people in, in my name. You know, I, this, this movement that started out with the best possible intentions and then just was warped and co-opted uh, by others using it for their own purposes. What about Movember? Can we just hate on Movember for the next hour and 45 minutes? Because that's, I'm on the Mo- I, I hate I hate Movember. I hate everything about it. I don't really know anything about it, but I hate everything about it. So it's it's Mo- the Movember Foundation. So someone made this into a five hundred three C or whatever, and it's a, a difference. It's about me- it's a awareness about men's health. So it's probably like pr- prostate cancer rates will double in the next fifteen years. Testicular cancer rates have already doubled. That's blah blah blah. We can't afford to stay f- silent. So they are basically like people grow mustaches in order to bring awareness to men's health and you know what landline podcast think of that fuck that like why do we have to turn everything into a charity walk or a fundraiser or a reason to do another ice challenge how about just gro- thank you how about gr- you. growing a mustache because it makes you look like you know how to eat pussy that's the reason that you grow a mustache it makes you look sexy it makes you look independent, makes you look like you do dirty stuff in, in bed, and women look at you a little bit different when you have a mustache, when you have a hairy upper lip. This is why mustaches exist. And then I want to bring this to a whole nother part of this, Saul, which is every time I have a big bushy mustache, which is probably three or four or five months of year because this is now like a, a piece that I wear on my face, the you know of course there's some you know some women say great mustache nice and that's nice it's not like a weird like sexual thing it's more just like hey you look handsome in that and it's that's nice thanks so much okay you know maybe i get one or two of those a year every time i go out to a social situation a bar a wedding all i get are 28 year old men coming up to me bashfully after they've had one beer enough and say to me oh dude bro dude that is a killer mustache. That is a sick. That is a That's sick stash. I hate that. Sick stash. And I want to say, and you know, if you haven't turned this off already because of how disgusted you are with my language, then turn it off now. I want to say to them is get on your knees. If you think it's so good looking. Because that is the vibe you're going for. If you are so insecure about your sexuality that you can't grow a mustache and you can't wear it to a social event where parents are like a wedding and you can't look like a normal person who conducts business with a mustache, which is what I do. I go to events with a mustache. I go to sales meetings with a mustache. I've run my company with a mustache. I'm not growing a mustache for this wedding. So a bunch of guys I don't know who are related to the 
to the bride are going to come up to me and make a pass at me at 1130 at night. Shut the fuck up and grow your your own mustache or don't talk to me about it. Can you imagine going up in like Deadwood and telling Swearingen that he has a nice mustache? He would shoot you in the head. He'd instantly shoot you. Instantly. So uh, why is it okay? You know, I've never – my dad has had a mustache his entire life. And I've never seen another ma- man go up to him and say, nice mustache. Because men – who are grown? Who are born in the forties and fifties and sixties? Know better. I don't under. How do I get get there? Do I have to turn fifty? Do I have to scowl like he does at other people? Do I have to be rude? Do I have to be a bad tipper? Like, what do I do to get to a place in my life where men of my age and younger aren't coming up to me with a little smirk at their face at the end of a party and telling me how cool I am because of my mustache? Well, maybe you just have to leave the party like half an hour earlier before they get there. Uh, that's your answer? It, 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 no, I mean, it's not, but you tried all the other things, everything from bad tipping to scowling, and that that didn't seem to work. We're groping for straws here. Well, in, no, in, me, in all seriousness, like, what me, do you think it is appropriate? Like, let's 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 make a referendum right here now on Landline Podcast. What can we do to, in a calm and like stately voice, tell that person something that will shame them into never making that mistake again? We need to improve society. Well, it's an interesting thing because you're you're talking about responding to a an overture of technical friendliness, even if it's of mixed motivation, as we've established, uh, with extreme hostility designed to shut down uh, the attempt, which I like. Um, so I, I think they, in, I think in some ways, maybe you just have to give them a, a cold sort of lizard-like stare for a few seconds and then say something to the effect, of um, why not grow your own mustache, and then you can tell yourself how good it looks in the mirror every morning. I mean, maybe you have to, you know, just sort of uh, be be willing to up and, and tell them that you're not impressed by them pretending to be impressed by the impressiveness of your mustache. And and I think call, that if they, calling out their sort of heteronormative, weird landscape that they're navigating in their brain is also something that needs to come into play here is it are you uncomfortable let me let me take this let's take this in a different a slightly different direction okay slightly different direction when women women compliment each other and we all know it and it's one of the nice things about women that you know they can walk up to you know another woman at a coffee shop and say i like your earrings and not seem like they're actually saying i want to get you in bed and like play with your tits like it's just like a genuinely friendly compliment so when are men allowed to compliment other men and is this playing into a deep set desire to do that without seeming gay or is that simply um trying to piggyback off another man's sacrifice or willingness to do something that others aren't and to try to like grasp onto a handful of coolness as a result of that. Well, I think that, you know, great, great question. First of all, thank you. Secondly, I think that the way that they're saying it to me is sort of 
yes, you look handsome in that, and I wish that I could do something like that. And even people say, I wish I could grow a mustache like that. Okay. My first gut reaction is you can. It's just that you won't. But it's almost as if they're coming up to me and I am some like beautiful multiracial North African soccer player who plays for the French national team and is also has a big, you know, multi uh, magazine spread for guess jeans or, you know, Rolex or whatever, you know, whatever David Beckham is advertising. They're, they're saying it like I, I was born with it, like someone's DNA created my ability to grow hair on my upper lip. And that's not the case. It's, it's also like a fat person going up to a really in shape person in a wedding and being like, oh, my God, your body is amazing. I just wish I could do that. Well, you can stop eating so much and start working out. And you probably are a very good looking person under that you know shell that you're wearing around you. So if you have alopecia or you are, you know, you have some sort of like genetic disposition to not being able to grow hair on your upper lip, then we should have a conversation and like, let's go over to the wedding bar and talk about it. And, you know, maybe there's a charity organization out there that it's similar to those who, you know, shave people's hair and, and create wigs out of them that can create a mustache for you that you can wear around on a special month where you, you, you're you being, you know, make a wish or something like that. But in the meantime, grow a big beard and then shave every part of it except your upper lip and you'll have a mustache and then wear it to a social event and see what it feels like to get singled out by a bunch of straight men and have the only conversations that you have be about that. It's not very comfortable. I can, I can imagine that. I can imagine that. Uh, in fact, I've, been in roughly similar situations uh, with my own mustache, and I I agree with you. Um, I guess in some ways we're a little different. That to me the the black hole of my narcissism just demands every possible compliment from my the polish on my loafers to the wax on my mustache. Saul, are you there? Landline. Let's check the landline voicemail. Remember, you can leave a message yourself at 503-894-8480. The first person who's not related to me to leave a message will get a gift. And that gift is me flying to wherever you live and blowing you. Because that's how important it is that we get somebody else besides my relations on the line. Here we go. You have six new messages. Eleven saved messages. Main menu. To listen to your messages, press 1. First voice message sent today at 11.13 a.m. End of message. To erase this message erased. Next voice message sent today at 12.15 p.m. Hey, landline. It's Ethan from the road. I'm riveted. Well, I'm also seat-belted to my seat, but riveted. You guys are nailing it. Alex, you've moved right into the pole position of my podcast lineup. I can honestly say I listen to more pod than most I drive for a living and can listen eight hours, ten hours a day. You're in. Uh, love it. Uh, love the rants. Love the opinions. 
and even the useful information that I got from constitutionalist Enigma John, the fact that you need to take your shirt off in a chainsaw duel is brilliant. I never thought of that. I'm in. Uh, thus far, I've been binging back episodes. You haven't said, let's unpack that yet. Uh, please don't say that. I hate hearing that expression. If you can make it through your pod career without saying unpack something, uh, I'll be a listener for life. Keep up the good work, buddy. All right, down the road I go. End of message. To erase the message save. Well, there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is that Ethan lives only three and a half hours away by car, so I don't even need to buy a plane ticket. Next skip voice message sent Thursday, March 8th at 12.32 p.m. Hi, John Lucy calling. I wanted to thank you all for having me on. I had a great time. Um, I got a little faded, so I don't remember a whole lot of what went down, but it was fun, I'm sure. I remember laughing really hard, which is... The best therapy, as they say. So, yeah, look forward to meeting up again. LBJ's birthday is this weekend. Let's uh, get it on. See ya. End of message. To erase this message. Message saved. Next skipped voice message sent Friday, March 9th at 7.55 a.m. Hi, it's Phoebe. I still have my hotmail email address and I don't think there's anything wrong with that and I've never seen a bald eagle and I think that you need to make the constitutionalist enigma really answer the question about whether his tax dollars should go to save endangered animals. I thought that was a really, really good question that was somehow lost in all of the uh, laughter you were having. So I'm really interested to hear his analysis on that. Bye. Landline. Saul, are you there? I just gave a great speech and then I thought it then that you hung up on me in disgust. No, you give, I got everything. I got all the way up to how you need to be – you like compliments. I, I got you right at a great breaking point. Did you keep going on after that? Of course I did. I was just, I was just getting started. Oh. <laughs> well, let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. We're, 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 we're golden. The sound is golden. The content is golden. It literally just cut out for some reason. I, of course, didn't hang up on you, and, and, and don't lose your momentum. And obviously the real person who hung up was my stupid AirPods that I bought. <laughs> so, so here's, here's the thing. I, I think I, I, get what, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying, and I get that you're saying that rather than having the rather small set of balls that it takes to go up to a stranger drunk at a cocktail party and compliment on him on some arbitrary feature that you could have yourself, uh, why not have the bigger pair of balls needed to have that yourself and then take a chance and maybe be the guy that other people are coming up and compliment. And I, 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 I figure, so I guess, I get that. Um, I get that, but I think maybe from, and I know what you mean. And, and frankly, I, I hate the people you're describing just via your descriptions. I don't want to be friends with any of them. 
I don't want to go to their parties. I don't want to have them over for dinner. I wouldn't want to see them in a barber shop. I wouldn't want to see them over a five-course Italian tasting menu for lunch. I wouldn't. I don't want to have anything to do with those people. But maybe I'm also getting at the idea, and this is where the sort of Alex versus Saul comes in, that compliments are scarce these days, and the idea that maybe one person walks up to another and says something nice, even if it's got ulterior motives, sort of like I'm saying something nice because I secretly want to you to think that I'd be cool enough to do what you're doing without actually having to do it because I'm not cool enough to do it. But maybe, you know, why look a gift horse in the mouth? Um, and we're left with the idea that a compliment is a compliment. And whether your pocket square compliments your tire, whether a drunk stranger compliments your mustache, uh, we're dealing with essentially the same fundamental goodness in the world that we're trying to bring out. All right. Well, I like that, and I do. I I don't want to be too negative. I gotta laugh at myself because of how negative I am. But let let's let's really twist. Let's make a leap here. Let's make a philosophical leap. But it, it gets right into some current events, and I I'm serious about this. I mean, I've had some bad language here, and I've said some pretty stark things that maybe a mom wouldn't want to hear about or my boss. But like, let's be honest. Like, I have a good heart, and this this goes back to some of the things I've said to you around making sure everyone understands where my comedy and, and my point of view comes from. I, you know, I want everyone to be healthy and happy and I don't want any of these must, mustache complimenters to like, you know, die in the bus ride home from the wedding. But I think that this really does get into, and here's where the leap comes, the sort of me too movement and the issue of the herd mentality of straight white males. And the reality of people, I say reality too many times on this podcast. I apologize to the listeners. Call 503-894-8480. Leave a message. Got good voicemails this week, and we'll be playing them throughout the show. Um, the, and talk to us. Call in and talk to us. Well, we, it's amazing. We got, we'd have to set a time. So if we set a time and, and live stream it, then people will call. Hey, if you want, that's a great question. If we get more than 10 messages between now and the next time that we podcast, or actually the next time that Landline goes up, which is next Tuesday, you can always hear Landline on Tuesdays. We'll always see you next Tuesday on Landline. Again, it's 503-894-8480. I won't even answer. I'll just let it go to voicemail, and you can leave a message. If we get 10 people, double digits, saying that you want to do a live show with Saul and I, then we will do a live show. But... Going back to this herd mentality of white males, the reason that more men now Portland, Oregon is a whole different story. And the one elephant in the room here is that I live in a town with tons of mustaches. But let's just push that aside because there's a little of it. I have an identity and, and, and tons of white males. I have a lot of identity crisis crises around that, too, because I, I we haven't even gotten to mustachemarch.com, the website that bought the, the people that bought that website that took it away from us. From uh, from which we weren't friends dot com, but let me just get through this. I'm talking to myself. the The reality is that people don't grow mustaches because they're afraid of what other straight men will think of them. They don't wear mustaches to work. They don't wear mustaches to work events. They don't wear mustaches to restaurants because they're afraid of what people in their subculture will think of them and they don't want to talk to people at a dinner party about their mustache. They think it looks weird. They think it looks dumb. They think it looks dated. So, okay. The well, just to, just to, just to chip in real quick. I also think it's out of a fear of what 
prospective partners will think of them, whether you're you know, in the market for women, men, twinks, you know, or anyone else. Um, I think that, you know, speaking... I mean, twinks, from the twinks point of love mustaches, who, I think, but yeah. keep, keep going. What? I think twinks love mustaches. We should get a twink on and ask them. Okay, you're right. The twinks do. But I will say that as someone who's asked a very large number of women their thoughts on mustaches over the years, and as someone who's been on a very large number of dates over the years, I can say with honesty, and this is the kind of confessional part of the podcast where I say something that I don't like about myself, which I didn't even think existed until I just thought of this, that I, in my dating life, was mentally discouraged from having a mustache, knowing that statistically the woman I showed up to dinner with was probably less likely to like it than if I had a clean, scruffier, bearded face. But it's like it's like you can shoot a house cat in suburban Detroit, or you can like go to Africa and wait eight months to finally see Cecil the Lion and slay him. So it, it, you know you might get a lot of people at a bar looking away from you if you have mustaches, or if you have a mustache. But the person who looks right at you is going to come right up to you and buy you a drink, and you're probably going to have a pretty fun time with them. So maybe some, some people should think about like catching their one big fish instead of trying to like net a bunch of guppies who end up kind of just like not being worth their time anyways. Right. I I think my mentality is let's catch the fish and then make the fish deal with your mustache. After the fact. After the fact when it's already eaten the hook and it's too late for it to go back in the water. Well, Going back to what I wanted to talk about with the herd mentality of of straight white men, you know, people don't want to stand out. They or they didn't when we were 25, 28, whatever. There are there are a group of counterculture people out there who are maybe standing out too much. And and by standing out so much, they are kind of overdoing it in terms of creating a true you know, identity for themselves that they're confident in. They're kind of their entire being is just being alternative. But really, mustaches don't exist because men don't want to be around other men and have them think that they're gay. I mean, that is it. You're saying that's that it's all about like it's 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 you're saying it's like, yeah, go. You're saying it's like the ancient Chinese proverb that the bird who raises its head from the bushes is the one shot by the hunter. I guess. Is that what I'm saying? Yeah, I guess. I think you are. Yeah. So, so it's, it's pretty, it's a great irony that the one who grew the mustache and then went to the wedding then has to have all those men who are the ones that are afraid of growing mustaches because of all the other men just like them come up to them and say, we love your mustache. Like, what is going on? No one's acting in their own best interest. They are afraid of putting themselves in a situation where they appear less masculine, less straight, less attractive to the, like, cookie-cutter woman who is being projected into society through magazines and television and movies 
um, and they're afraid that they might not like take a girl home from the club that serves Bud Light and has like the repeat of the Red Sox game on. Um, and you know, they're afraid that they're not going to appear like they are accomplishing what they set out to do by being part of the sort of upper middle class white American subculture. And, and they're, they're screwing themselves because of it, in my personal opinion. I think that's a fair point, but it just leaves me wondering when, when did having a mustache, you know, when when John L. Sullivan walked into a bar in 1910, and he walked into a lot of these bars and said, I can lick any son of a bitch in the room, and proceeded to do so because he was the greatest bare-knuckles fighter in the entire country and arguably the world, since he also fought Europeans. Um, and he had a great mustache. So where, where do we go from, like, John L. Sullivan or from Deadwood, as you brought up earlier, Al Swearinger, uh, to not wanting to have one because you're worried that other people think you're gay. That's a, that's a sad turn of events for this entire country. Well, I think that it does have to do with the fact that it's a joke and maybe we are partially responsible for facilitating that joke and the spread of that joke in culture with Wish We Weren't Friends. I understand that it was just a few people who went to that website, but we were a group of influencers in our own right who told people that we knew that we were growing tremendous influencers, tremendous influencers. There were there were a lot of people who took their cues from that website. Well, let me get answer your question by by saying that mustachemarch.com contacted us in the days after that opening email that I wrote and said, "We love what you're doing. Like, check out our site. Like, you know, you should check out what we're doing." And they own mustachemarch.com and. They're still going and, you know, the website is dated and it looks like it's kind of winding down, but they have a Facebook page and it's been updated in the last year and whatever. Like they basically went the way of the dodo just like we did. But but the reality is that they they weren't doing it for the right reasons. They were growing it to do like the mustache and beard competitions and they were doing it to like make a joke out of it. And they were doing it to have it be some sort of kind of carnivalistic representation and fun and that's good for them and guess what they live in Oregon and they have a bunch of photos online from Oregon and here I am in Oregon with a mustache in a town full of people with mustaches I got to this town for the third time to move here in September and I had a huge mustache and I had to shave it because I went into three you know coffee shops or delis or restaurants and I saw 16 mustaches and I said to myself I can't I can't be associated with this crowd so now people are throwing their hands up listening to this to say well wait a second you just said you wanted everyone to have mustaches not if it's basically an identity of someone who has chosen to make their their whole lifestyle around the mustache that's not what i'm looking for I'm looking for people to... You're, you're, you're describing motivation as a, as a key factor in style, hairstyle. Well, shouldn't everyone just look the best that they can? Shouldn't they have... Like, I look best with a mustache, in my personal opinion. And therefore, I have a mustache. Aren't there another 28% of the population who look best with a mustache? If I see a handsome man with a mustache that fits his face... I'm all for it. I don't care if he's in Portland or not. 
if I see people growing them as jokes, I'm angry. And if I see people coming up to me to say, I wish I had your mustache, I'm angry. So, I mean, what do I do? Do I shoot myself in the head? Where do we go from here? So I can't, you know, can't, I mean, does, I, I'd say in my own personal life, um, there have been times when I've worn a mustache with a measure of irony, and there have been times when I've worn it with a measure of extreme seriousness, and, and most times tend to be a sort of, um, you know, cocktail blend of, of those two, plus an olive for a garnish. So what I'm what I'm saying is I I, I think I, I think the mustache is such the, the word's got such weight behind it at this point and having one carries such weight because it's it's not something that everyone's doing that I think there's maybe part of it's a generally generational thing maybe you're t- trying to tap you know I've I've college professors who I admire more than just about any people in the world who who have mustaches with, with zero irony. They, they have a mustache for your exact reasons because it, it looks good and it feels good. And, of course, that's what we should aspire to. But is it wrong to have a mustache because you think that it can add a note of levity to a somber room or to add a spark of light to a dark cave? Are these wrong reasons to bear the fruit on the upper lip? No, I don't think so. I don't think they are. I guess I, I guess if I have to just, I can't have it no ways. So I would say to, if there were more ma- mustaches grown in the world, then that's probably a, a good end result. And if people can wear them in a way that befits the style, which means you're not wearing it like a Fu Manchu and you're not having a bunch of curly cues and you're not, you know, you're not making. Are you literally just trying to name every type of mustache that's my favorite? <laughs> but Saul, the best okay, picture. Let's, let's get let, let's 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 get down to let's let's boil this down to the original question because we want our listeners to be able to walk away with tangible advice because that way they'll stop reading those stupid Ask Polly columns and they'll just listen to us instead. So, what do you tell the room full of? arguably straight people who corner you at the cocktail bar after their fourth shitty glass of red wine and say, bro, that's a sweet mustache. What do you do? How do you handle it? I think I got to say to them, hey, man, I appreciate your support. I got to be honest with you. It makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable that you're choosing to come up to me at the end of a Saturday night and talk to me about my mustache. I'm not saying that you're gay or anything, and if you are, that's cool with me. But I would love for you to embrace what I'm putting out and do a little bit of it yourself. And you should eat more pussy because your entire behavior over the last five minutes has proved to me that you don't eat enough. And maybe when you have... A little bit of that on your upper lip, you'll realize that a mustache goes along quite nicely. Have a good night. So, so why don't you take what you just said and put it on business cards and literally just hand those out to people without saying a single word when they ask you about it? Are you willing to fund that endeavor? I am. I, I actually will do that. I will pay for classy business cards. I'll have a picture of your mustache on one side. And on the other side, they'll have verbatim what you just said, except it will be addressed to dear 
person who told me the same thing that a lot of other people also tell me, which is why I printed these cards and did, made my friend pay for them. Did you think I did okay off the cuff? I, I'll, I'll put my money behind my words. I'll, I'll pay for you to have business cards to hand out just saying exactly what you said. All right. Well, that's the mustache discussion, and we appreciate you sticking with us. I know that not everyone thinks it's a big issue, but I, I do think that it really does connect to identity, represent, representation of identity into the world, lack of confidence with people's style and their bodies, and everything being about presenting what they think everyone else wants them to look like back to the world. So there's a lot in a mustache, and Saul and I covered it. So, you know, spread it along. Pass it along to your friends, 503-894-8480. Tell them to grow a mustache and listen to Landline. 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 Tim. Alex. Do you have third three minutes for us? Oh, yeah, I've got three minutes for you. What's happening? Can you just tell us, we're doing a podcast with Saul tonight, can you just tell us what it's like to be with him when he's overdressed in like a tailored suit? Because we know, I know we're going to get into some talk about him like trying not to buy fancy clothes anymore, but he just bought three more suits. So what is it, like, tell us about your experience being next to him in a situation where he's the only one wearing fancy clothing. Well, my favorite part is that most of the clothing he has is is obviously bespoke. If it's not bespoke, it's been certainly run through by one of his tailors who likes a form-fitting suit. And more often than not, that form-fitting suit was uh, cut when he was slimmer than he is currently, um, which is slim enough. So it's, it's always awkwardly tight. And he, for him, I think he sort of imagines that it fits in like a glove, and it does. It's just it's lumpy in places. Um, so I can't help but enjoy the awkwardness of how it fits on him. Um, but at this point in my life, it's just like Saul's always going to show up wearing a three-piece, and if he doesn't, people are disappointed. So. And what is it like when you guys were recently at a wine event, and he, it was mostly like probably jeans and button-downs or some California version of that, so... Do people just go with the flow? Like, he's clearly not embarrassed, but does anyone mention the suit? Everyone, everyone loves Saul. I mean, Saul, like, by the end of the night, there was eight different girls who were having just really robust text message chains with him, just trying to figure out what we were doing for the evening. So it's, for, for whatever reason, it seems to work. All right. Um, maybe a two guys, one cup this week? Can't wait. Uh, you let me know. Okay, Rotor Estate. Rotor Estate. What's your Thursday looking like? See you next Thursday. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. All right. Well, thanks for your time. We'll talk to you soon. Sure. Bye. Landline. So let's switch gears. Where do you want to go next? I would love to have you drive a little bit. I feel like I I put out a little bit of emotion there. I, I know we don't oh, have. There's nothing wrong with emotion on a Monday night. I know we don't have long for your dinner plans, and we don't need to. I feel like going deep on a, a topic as important as the one we covered is, is getting a lot of people excited to listen to the show. Um, but did you want me to bring well, up... Frankly, frankly I, didn't, I didn't have much to come up with because of the fact that I've just been, I've been itchy. 
I've been itchy for the last 10 goddamn days. I've been itchy on my arms. I've been itchy on my legs. I've been itchy on, on my toes and my, my feet. And it's broken down every mental foci that I have. I've just been itching. So, and the reason is poison oak. Wow. Okay, well, we I can't wait to hear about this. How, how do you know when something is poison oak versus poison ivy? Uh, that's a great question. It's when you see about belatedly when it's too late to like change the actions that brought you to that point, about 50 different signs wallpapering an entire resort on the central coast of California saying beware of poison oak. So when did you see that? So you were in Central California. Give us the whole rundown, whatever parts of it you want to. Well, so as as you know, uh, Tim and I have a tradition, and his wife might or might not like this, but I'm just going to call it our tradition rather than the tradition that I stole from him and his wife. Uh, but we have a tradition where every uh, March, and usually the first week of March, um, we go down to Santa Barbara, uh, where there's a wine conference that Tim's invited to. And we, we attend a tech conference for the first two nights, uh, which is usually held at some sort of um, RV park or a series of cabins. Uh, and Tim tastes wine during the day, and I don't, and I do whatever I'm supposed to be doing. And then we hang out with a bunch of winemakers at night who are sick of wine, and all they want to do is drink beer. And then we go down to Santa Barbara proper and check into the Ritz-Carlton Baccaro Hotel and spend the next two days, again, with Tim working and me drinking and acting as though I work for a winery when in reality we all know that I don't. So that's that's a sort of context. So so this year we were staying, they moved the tech conference to, um, to a group of cabins that ironically enough, was um, evacuated the same morning that we checked out due to um, mudslide concerns. Wow. But Dodged mud- the bullet. Yeah, mudslides. Who would have thought? California. Jesus. But the point is that the mudslides turned out to be the least of our concerns. So we, I, 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 I arrived at about 8 p.m. at night. Um, it had been a relatively long day because I'd woken up in Mexico City uh, gotten on a plane after a heavy brunch, flown to um, Los Angeles, rented an expensive Mercedes convertible, and then driven up the coast through Malibu to um, north of Santa Barbara. Very landline. Very, very landline behavior. Exactly. So, um, so I, 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 I rolled in, I, literally, as I was driving, and I rolled in, and then um, I sat down at a dinner, which had basically been cleared, to my annoyance, um, so I had to subsist on cold cuts and a small handful of cold paella. But I sat down, and Tim was at a table doing his usual charm effect outreach campaign uh, with a series of mostly female winemakers. And we we sat and we we chatted and we you know we we drank obviously, and then we decided that since we were in the middle of the canyons, we should go for a full and since there was a full moon, we should go for a full moon canyon hike. So 
we 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 set out. Uh, it was myself, Tim, uh, three to four of the aforementioned winemakers, um, and then a uh, older French male winemaker who it turned out was wheezing partly because he probably smoked cigarettes and partly because he had pneumonia. So it was a you know it was a, a motley group, but we we shared enthusiasm and uh, lust for moonlight and adventure. And all, and also just to chime in here, like this is this is cool. I'm right. I, moonlight walks on the coast. People are doing this, and you're not the only one. And we landline celebrates you for doing it. But people are probably doing activities like this more often than they're announcing on the internet. And in fact. Well, you could argue that they're announcing every single one of them. Hard to take photos in the dark, but, you know, have these adventures without the photos. And, you know, there it is, the world, way more exciting than uh, politicalwire.com and Drudge Report. Exactly. Go go for a hike and, and stop reading about the best 10 hikes to do on the Internet. Let's go pick one of them and do it. So we, we, we set off, and, you know, our, our little band of... Um, you know, Mary Makers was, was having a, a high old time, and we, you know, we, we hiked, and people complained about that we were going too fast or too steep or didn't know where we were going or all of the above, and Tim and I scoffed and bounded ahead like a little pair of gazelles that we feel that we are. And we grew higher and higher um, until we reached a crest that should have put us right over the Pacific. And obviously, instead, just put us right over the freeway. But the point is that it was a very, you know, fun, scenic, beautiful hike. And then we were all the way up high um, at what we had thought to be the peak. And rather than taking the trails down and spending time that we didn't feel like um, uh, squandering, we decided to just take the geometric equivalent of a shortcut, meaning the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. So the shortest distance between us and the bottom of the mountain was a line going directly down the slope. Thanks, Internet, for making us so impatient, because you were in such a hurry to get out of a beautiful moonlit light night in Santa Barbara. Exactly. So we, so we, we, Started going down it, and it was it was sort of the, the the soil was very loose and deep, so we were essentially skiing. You'd, you'd take a step, but it would be steep enough and, and soily enough that you'd sort of slide about twenty feet down, and then take another step and go another twenty. Kind of like I've always imagined walking on a lunar surface would be. So we we skied down. Um, we got to the bottom. We happened to Tim guided us like right to a this little jewel of a blue lit swimming pool that was at the very bottom. Um, I obviously stripped off my clothes from socks to fedora and leapt right into the pool. Uh, that was the point where all the women in our group uh, left immediately, leaving just me, Tim, and the gay French winemaker who had pneumonia. And I, I swam, as I'm prone to do. I swam back and forth. I did laps. I did the crawl. I did the breaststroke. Um, and then I put my clothes back on and we went back to the party. So that was kind of to sum up the evening. Uh, then fast forward about four days, and I started itching. I was back at home in Berkeley, and I felt my skin just being filled with this overpowering need-to-scratch sensation. And... I didn't like what I was feeling. I didn't like what I was thinking. I didn't like anything about it. 
So obviously I immediately called Tim and said, are you finding yourself at all itchy? What's going on here? And he wrote back at once saying, I thought it was swimmer's rash. And I said, maybe we should have thought about the 50 different posters warning us about poison oak that were plastered all over this goddamn resort where we were. Wow. So that's what brought me to the, the present day. The irony was that Tim said, that's funny that I have poison oak because I always thought I was immune to it. And I replied that it's funny because I also always thought I was immune to poison oak. So the sort of larger uh, context of the story is revolving around the idea that um, I just it don't doesn't everyone want to just pretend that they're immune to things that they're not and that they're better than other people and you know these whatever it is you know I'm I'm a better driver than the average I can parallel park better than the average I can you know drink drink more than other people without blacking out I can right I don't get sick on airplanes I don't get sick on airplanes I don't I, I can drink the water in Mexico I uh, nobody in my family has a nut allergy exactly exactly I'm just better than the general population and this sort of brutally reminded me that I'm not and that as it turns out I can get poison oak just like every other red-blooded American out there, except for, like, 0.1% who can probably, like, triple-cross their, like, toes or do some, you know, weird genetic thing like that. All right. Well, I don't know but, if this makes good pod, but can you tell us, is it, like, boils? Is it is it small bumps? Like, let's get into some of the details. So there's, there's a very clear rash. There's, there's a reddened rash. They also turn into small little sort of witch-like boils at, at various points. Um, it's visually unpleasant, it's mentally unpleasant, it's physically unpleasant, it's emotionally unpleasant. There's, there's nothing good about poison oak. The only good thing, really, is that, number one, apparently you cannot spread it. It would be a real fucking shit show if you could scratch, like, one arm that had poison oak and suddenly, like, your eye has it. So you, you cannot spread it. It doesn't contaminate yourself or others. And eventually it goes away. Those are the only two good things about it. What about calamine lotion, antihistamine, Benadryl? Like, what? Do you, what is your in a world of immediacy, in a in a world where everything can be, you can get a pizza ordered to Elon Musk's moon colony or, or Mars colony? What do you do? What is your? What did the internet tell you to do? Well, that's the thing. Um, I'm I'm a true blue, you know, diehard landline podcaster i don't go to the internet for this except to you know see my symptoms and be told that they're bad but i'm not taking medication i'm not eating benadryl i'm not taking you know cortisone or steroids or anything like that um i'm walking around saying i have this thing and it sucks and it's unpleasant and it's making me unhappy and i'm going to get through it uh standing on my own two feet i'm not going to turn to modern medicine i'm not going to turn to pharmacies i'm not going to go into target with a giant shopping cart and fill it with every single box of anything that says we will relieve pain or discomfort in any way i'm going to ride it through on my own engines so for what just because you think that that's the way you're, you you should do it your body needs to get acclimated like why are you doing that 
Just because I'm stubborn, of course. I'd say that I was too lazy to go to a Target or pharmacy. With ironies, I've been in at least three of them in the past week buying other things. And and what is it subsiding now? Are we on like the downward edge? No, I mean it's sort of like a werewolf where it gets worse at night. <laughs> Tim said he couldn't sleep. He told me that he had some poison oak. I mean, I was lying in bed at 5.30 in the morning just itching myself. Well, isn't it amazing that we live in a world where poison oak can still hurt you? And, and you know, obviously, the I guess maybe this isn't cliche. Maybe it's only my brain and only the people that I talk to about this stuff. But, you know, in past worlds, the indigenous people, for instance, who lived on the Santa Barbara coast, which had some completely different name and certainly Santa wasn't in it they would have been able to identify poison oak from its smell in, in the evening, specifically in late February or early March. And they would have known exactly how to get rid of it, and they probably would have known how to cure it. And yet we're talking about putting, you know, the next rocket on the moon or figuring out a way that we can build computer chips that spy on China, and we have no idea what to do about poison oak. And I guess that's sort of the... You know, the, the larger feeling that maybe maybe sometimes it's not a bad thing to feel a measure of discomfort. You know, I for a long time after my symptoms heal, I will walk around feeling extremely grateful that I don't have poison oak anymore if I reach that point, which I'm starting to wonder about. Yeah. And what about, like, physical touching with maybe people that you're intimately involved with? Uh, that's sort of, you know, that's, that's okay. I mean, you just, you know, you're, you have poison oak and they don't, and they're happy about that. And, you know, you're happy about that while also angry about that because Schadenfreude exists. Right. All right. Well, anyway, anyway, yeah, that's, that's my medical update of, of the week. Be that as it may. Um, you can't say it's the most pleasant one. No, I, it's beware of poison oak, I guess. Do you know what it looks like? Clearly you don't. Uh, I think the saying is three, leaves of three, uh, let them be. So when leaves I, of three, let them be. When I was 19 and I was in uh, Burlington for the summer working for Howard Dean before dropping out of college to work for him full time and staying in an apartment with a bunch of people we grew up with, we were at... Um, I think Oak Ledge Park in, in uh, I think, South Burlington on Lake Champlain. And we all had played tennis or something with each other. And then we're going to all jo- jump in the in the water. And there was there were we got in a 19 year old argument with each other about whether or not something was poison ivy. And someone was so adamant about how it wasn't poison ivy that they picked it rubbed it all over their arm to show everyone that it wasn't poison ivy. And then, of course, 48 hours later, had a huge patch of poison ivy. Now, that's like a funny story, and people will say, ha-ha. Well, we were back at that same park playing tennis again at, with four or five of us throwing the Frisbee, whatever it was, two weeks later, ten days later, and we got in another argument about it because someone brought up how stupid the kid who it was who did that and I said, well, that isn't poison ivy pointing to that. And everyone, and whoever it was who was on the other side, well, yes, it is. And so then I picked it up and I rubbed it all over my arm. 
And two days later, I had horrible poison ivy. So it goes to show you how stubborn humans really are. <laughs> there's, there's, there's that, 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 it's an amazing example. It's an amazing example. All right, Saul, well, we're going to wrap it up here. Do you have any qu quick closing notes or any uh, last sort of, um, you know, what do they call it? They call them like hot shots to end on, quick hits. Um, well, I guess, you know, I mean, there's, there's so many, there's so many. I'm trying, I'm trying to think, I'm trying, I'm trying to uncensor myself. That's what I'm trying to do. Um, well, do you think here, here's so, a, here, here's so a Roth wrote a book called Zuckerman Unbound and, and I'm trying to unbind myself. Not in a yoga sense. Well, here, let's do a little state of the pod, or we'll do a little inside pod here for the last couple of minutes. Do you think that me saying that people should suck my dick and that people should eat pussy, like it, how dangerous of, of a statement are those to put on the internet in today's day and age? I think they're shrewd, cunning, and absolutely accurate. I think people should suck more dick and eat more pussy according to what they want to be doing. And if those people have a mustache when they're doing it, all the better. Right. All right. Well, then. And now. But so, you know, that's my sense of unbridling myself. It's always easier to unbridle somebody else. It's difficult to deal with your own unbridled self. And, you know, that's caused me a fair amount of anxiety. It's an interesting element with comedians. Nobody ever blames comedians for saying things that they're thinking. They're just like celebrating them but at the same time i wonder if comedians i guess that's something you you know that's the one problem is i'm not making any money podcasting so i could still not yet but you, you will be and then i will be <laughs> well um any sort of spring fashion tips that you can leave our listeners with because i did call tim to get my levels checked and asked him about what it's like to be around you when you're wearing a three-piece suit he had nothing but complimentary things to say do you do you want to just sort of where you're in California, it's March, we're getting into spring here for you and people, you know, our listenership on the East Coast, coast, which is vast, still trying to beat Rick Steves. So pass the pod along to a friend. Make sure you tell him the number 503-894-8480. Um, what, what are you, uh, sorry, I just got distracted by a text message. It's the worst. I can't believe that can't believe a text message came in during landline podcast anyways what uh w any just quick notes kind of give us the like you know blurb in the wednesday times about what people can look forward to this spring hey that's fair um so uh i i mean to be honest like let's what i really want to what i what i want to conclude on is is saying that like if if you if you remember that horrible O.J. Simpson attempt at a book that said um, it was it was titled "If I Did It" and they had to pull it. I think it was actually your ex boss who who bought the rights to it. Yeah, great, um, great, like, great, great closing topic. Judith Regan, I worked for her. There you go. You worked for her, um, and briefly O.J. did when he decided to write a hypothetical book saying "If I Did It," and I think that sort of explains itself. So. I almost feel like I want to start 
uh, a kind of weekly column on our podcast saying, if I did it, like just for example, like I, I'm not admitting to doing this, and I'm certainly not saying I did do it, but what if I did microdose myself on a strong hallucinogen at a wine conference with one of my good friends and then walk around having to interact with a bunch of winemakers who I'd never met before? That's a good story if I did it. Yeah, if you did that, that would have been a great story for the podcast. And there's probably a lot of other stories that fall into that category. If I, so if, if we can reach a plane of sensitivity where we embrace and yet simultaneously deny culpability, I think we'll all be better off. Well, one of the listeners, in addition to calling in and saying you want Saul and I to do a live show so we can answer your calls, call in 503-894-8480 and give Saul some confidence around releasing himself because... He has uh, some things that he'd love to talk about if he did them. And maybe that encouragement, maybe a, a groundswell of support from our growing fandom will tip the scales for Saul and allow him to share above and beyond you know, the uh, various skin allergies he's sure to um, bring to the podcast every week. And you know what, Saul? We could podcast every day this week, and maybe you'll just get broken by the repetition and have to start coming up with some If I Did It st- stories. Or maybe my name's Raul, R-A-U-L, instead of S-A-U-L. Ooh, I like that. And it could be like your Central American alter ego. Right, ironically similar to uh, the Mustache March in 2000, uh, let's see here, in 9, uh, where I was photographed wearing an expensive English tweed uh, jacket. Uh, with one type of mustache, and then on a motorcycle and heavy biker leather uh, with another a handlebar. Well, that's something all for three goes are out there. Well, that's something that we're all willing to talk to you about. We're here to support you. We're here to support everyone into whatever they're into, and we hope that we've encouraged some people to grow some hair up on their lip, or shave their upper lip, or maybe just wear more leather, you know, really there's all kinds of things you can do to let your inner freak flag fly. And I think that that would help the world be a little bit more, um, accepting around all the different alternative proclivities without necessarily making it the defining aesthetic of, uh, someone's personality, because what makes you is not what you wear, how you dress or how you shave your facial hair, but rather how you treat people and the things you have to say. So with that, thanks for listening to Landline Podcast. Saul, thanks so much for being here. We look forward to your next episode in six to eight hours. Um, enjoy your dinner. Remember, call the Landline 503-894-8480. Raul, we're looking forward to hearing your stories as well. Other episodes available on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on whatever podcast app you listen to, Spotify, landlinepodcast at gmail.com, and we have a Yelp account. And, you know, think about it. Call your parents on their landlines. Think about installing one in your home. So, any last words? And for, and, for the, and for the love of God, people, don't go up to a man at a cocktail party and tell him he has a nice mustache. Go home and grow your own. And maybe go up to that guy and talk to him about something because if he's the kind of guy who grows a mustache, he probably has something to say. With that, landline Good night, pod- listeners. Good night. All right, Saul. So we're so glad you came and conquered and we look forward to hearing about your next bit of adventure in the California coast.
Adios, friends. Pass the word on about Landline Podcast. Bye, Saul. Adios. Landline is hosted, written, and produced by Alex McKay. The best thing you can do to support the show is tell a friend. Music by the Pitchfork Revolution out of Bend, Oregon. We're taking this show to the top, baby. You're listening to Landline.